It was a bad day for New England Patriots and New York Jets fans. It was a good day for the Miami Dolphins, and it was a great day for the Buffalo Bills because the Buffalo Bills are going to shellac the rest of the AFC East this year. Now, I watched the entire first half of the Dolphins and Patriots game before I switched over to NFL Red Zone. And from that point forward, I saw clips of Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens piling on the Jets. I didn't get to see too many clips from Miami. Based on what I've been told, both teams didn't look outstanding. And the stats sort of tell the same story. Now, before the 2022 NFL regular season schedule was even released, we had all concluded that the Buffalo Bills would win the East again. Now the Bills are in line to repeat what the Patriots did for many years with Tom Brady. The Bills will play six games against the other AFC East teams, and the Buffalo Bills will lay down a beating. Now watching all three of the Bills' possible opponents play today, I can't figure out how any of the three of them can beat Buffalo. Maybe Bill Belichick can outcoach Sean McDermott, and however, the Dolphins coaching staff outcoached the Patriots in week one, so there's a problem. Uh, neither the Patriots, Jets, or the Dolphins match the Bills' talented roster, and I don't think any of their defenses have the talent to stop or scheme to stop Josh Allen. Now, I'm a New England Patriots fan. I'm aware of how long this season is going to be. I'm not concerned. My expectations were relatively low for New England this season, but the gap between the Patriots and the Bills is even more significant than I thought. Now, there's no guarantees in football, so I'm not going to guarantee that the Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, even though I probably should. I can say with a lot of confidence that I see no scenario where the Dolphins, the Jets, or the Patriots can beat the Buffalo Bills. You know, the NFL had the chance to do the right thing. I believe that the NFL was going to be on the right side of history for the first time ever. Fortunately, the NFL did what the NFL does. The impact that they've had on Toronto FC it, it's undeniable. I understand that you have to defend your quarterback. I understand that you just can't come out and, you know, say, well, you know, we don't want Deshaun anyways. I understand. I get it. I have to do this because I have to appreciate it. Yes, and we're back. Welcome to Race Sports Rain. I'm Ray Rowden. I'm sitting in that sports director's chair for the Dean Blundell Network at DeanBlundell.com. Thanks, everybody, who's tuning in. Make sure that you hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, and never miss an episode. You can also find tons and tons of great sports content over at, you guessed it, DeanBlundell.com. Tonight, I'm going to be hosting one of my co-hosts from the Who's Got Next podcast, Mr. Producer Mike. You can follow him on Twitter at Producer underscore Mike. And make sure you follow me on Twitter at DPN underscore Ray and follow the Dean Blundell Network at Net. With that being said, let's bring in Mike because it's showtime. What's up? 
what's going on? How are you? I'm good. Good day Welcome. of football. It was a good day of football. Welcome to Race Sports Rant. Uh, your first time on the Sports Rant podcast. Obviously, we are co-host on Who's Got Next every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern time. You can find it on YouTube and also download on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good places. But uh, first time on Race Sports. So let me let me jump in right to you heard my little intro there. Uh, do either the Jets, the Dolphins, or the Patriots have a chance to beat the Buffalo Bills this season? After what I saw tonight, no. Absolutely not. The Patriots' defense was okay, and, you know, Miami – Miami's offense doesn't doesn't look outstanding to me at all. No, there was nothing scary about any of the other AFC East teams today. Uh, and no. I, I think I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast because I was like, I knew that there was a gap between the Bills and everybody else. I didn't realize the gap was that significant. Uh, I know that Dolphin fans and maybe some people who want to hate on the New England Patriots believe there's this this giant gap between the Dolphins and the Patriots. And if you didn't see the game today, the score alone does not explain a lot of what happened. Both teams did not look great. If you go on my on the website right now, I just wrote uh, an article about this subject, and like I w- I put up that video of, Ty- of of him missing Tyreek wide open in the middle of the field. I Nelson Aguilar fumbling the football. Nobody looked good again. And it's funny because you and I had this discussion all off season about the Patriots, and we're going to get into that in a second yep. here. But basically, what happened today happened. Now I'm going to tell you. As of Thursday night, when I and going into Friday, even Saturday, obviously a lot of discussion about the Bills because it was an electric game between them and the Rams. They had the stage to themselves Thursday, Friday, and Saturday before the NFL season officially kicked off. Even though there was a Thursday game, Sunday is always the kickoff game. Uh, I, I kept going on the harp of like, I'm looking at the schedule. I'm looking at all of these different NFL teams. I don't know who can beat the Buffalo Bills, let alone the AFC East. However... A team that um, a lot of people thought was going to regress this year after losing one of the best wide receivers in the NFL just put an absolute beating on another team who just paid their quarterback a trillion dollars. Um, what do you think of the Kansas City Chiefs? Because there looks like zero regression to me right now. Well, right. I just joked to you before we did this. I said, well, clearly Patrick Mahomes has regressed. Listen, that's the same Kansas City Chiefs offense we've seen now for a couple of years didn't look like they've lost a beat and put up a ton of points. That is your trademark Kansas City offense right there. They've also been the kryptonite of the Buffalo Bills, especially in the postseason. So I, as much as Bill fans have been maybe flexing upon all of the, you know, the the, the good fun that they've been able to have because of their win and, and knowing that they can destroy the AFC East, there's no way that they could have been watching the Chiefs today, who beat the Cardinals 44-21, by the way, and it was 44-7. Yeah. The game was over. Those 14 of those points were just garbage time points. Let me read you these ridiculous stats. Patrick Mahomes goes 30 for 39 for 360 yards and five touchdowns. Uh, I feel so sorry for anybody who had to play against him in fantasy this week. And, uh, oh, what are they going to do without Tyreek Hill? Well, Tra- Travis Kelsey is going to have eight catches for 121. Juju Smith-Schuster is going to have six for 79. Uh Valdez Scantling, who I think a lot of Patriot fans had their eye on, has four for 44. Edwards Hilaire has three for 32. Moore has one. McKinnon has one. Hardman has one. Patio has one. Gray has one. Frosten has one. I mean, there was a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of different catchers today. And between Patio, Edwards Hilaire, McKinnon, over 100 yards and rushing, too. So you're talking a shit ton of 
stats that are just crazy. I want I'm going to give you the the Chiefs final stats if I can. Okay, sure. so yeah, uh, they have 32 first downs on the game, five for Incredible. eight on third down, one for one on fourth down, 128 rushing yards, 360 passing yards, a total of 488 yards. He sacked or sacked three times for 26 yards, no interceptions thrown, two punts, three penalties. Five fumbles on the day, one loss, not good. Possession time, 34-42. If I'm the Buffalo Bills, the Kansas City Chiefs are the only team in the NFL scaring me. Yeah, listen, that stat line is incredible. And listen, I understand the Cardinals are without, you know, Hopkins. And and we knew this. They knew this. They should have been better prepared for it. But, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely shellack them. That stat line is incredible. And Patrick Mahomes has proved that, between him and Andy Reid, they can elevate those second tier guys to not need need someone like Tyree Kill. So they made a great decision for themselves as far as I'm concerned. All right, let's get into this this next piece here. So I'm going to give you a little bit sure. of an excerpt. It comes from the Associated Press. It's Mac Jones hurts his back and loss to the Dolphins. Here's an excerpt of what they wrote. They said, Jones hurt his back in Sunday's 20-7 season-opening loss to the Miami Dolphins, a game he played start to finish, competing, completing 21 of 30 for 213 yards with a touchdown and an interception. He was also sacked twice, one of those getting scooped up for a Miami score. Uh, it was a worrisome capper to a frustrating day for the Patriots. The seven points represented the second fewest they've managed in 23 openers under Belichick in a 17-point deficit. It was 17-0 at the half, was the largest in the Belichick-era openers. Uh, above all else, there is this. For the second consecutive year, the Patriots are 0-1 in back-to-back instances of that hadn't happened to New England since 2000 and 2001, Belichick's first two seasons, uh, though it should be noted the Patriots went on to win the Super Bowl in that 2001 season. So, Mike, I'll, let's get into the Patriots. What was your overall thoughts on the New England Patriots today? Was there anything that surprised you about the team? And was there anything that, you know, maybe you just you were fully expecting it? Um. I think I think I fully expected what I saw today. In fact, I'll be honest and say I expected worse from that offensive line after all the reports we heard all season. So they did hold up reasonably well, but overall the offense was just messy. A lot of mistakes that are not traditional of a Bill Belichick team, especially when there still seems to be an apparent lack of talent on offense. So it's just they have to execute perfectly, it seems like, to do anything. And they're just not doing it. It's just it's just too messy, not tight enough. That's the best way I can describe it. So back not that long ago when we were co-hosts on the <laughs> Dear Pats Nation podcast, you and I had some, let's say, riveting debates, uh, one especially on one of our Friday night hangouts where it, it turned into you and I screaming at each other. And it was Never. about the Patriots' former offensive coordinator, Josh McDaniels, obviously now the head coach of the uh, Vegas Raiders. They were losing the last time I, I saw, but scored more points than the Patriots today. Yep. Uh, in my opinion, Mike, I saw a lot of the same in the play-calling department from the Patriots today. Is it Fair to say that perhaps, regardless of what he said in the past, maybe Bill Belichick has had a little bit more say in that offensive game plan than maybe they've let on. Because the, your argument to me, I'm just going to recap this, your argument to me was always mm -hmm. he Belichick said that Josh McDaniels was the head coach of the offense. He doesn't get involved, but it felt like yep. a Josh McDaniels game today. 
Yeah, it did. And it looked like one too, aside from, you know, a few of the outside zone runs, which, you know, they, they've incorporated in the past, but it feels like they dusted off the old playbook for this game because whatever they had been practicing, what wasn't, uh, you know, working. So yeah, I'm going to go with, uh, you know, the jury's still out. It looks like they did dust off the McDaniels playbook this year. And it looks like, again, they have the same problems right now. Just the talent's not dynamic enough. The offensive line's not good enough. And let's be honest, you know, I'm not sure when Mac hurt his back, if it wasn't after that one big uh, hit he took off the safety blitz, but he did not look good today. He looked flustered. A lot of the passes were all over the place. So a lot, a lot to be desired there from them. But yeah, a, a lot of work to be done. So, so we went into this season I said that they had a floor of six, an absolute mm -hmm. ceiling of 10, probably never get to the ceiling. A lot of people called me negative because of that. I decided to go full homerish and buy into the Patriots Twitter hype yesterday from all the Patriots fans said, take yeah. the Patriots today, kicking myself because I wish I would have went with my gut instinct and what I've been saying all season. But you and I were texting back and forth during the game. And I said to you, are you even shocked by this? Because everything that happened is what we thought was going to happen. We said the defense was going to be good, not great, good. We said mm -hmm. that Mac was going to be okay. He wasn't terrible, but he was okay. We right. said the play calling was going to be suspect. We said the offensive line was going to be a problem. And the Patriots didn't have enough talent on receiving uh, the receiver core and that this offense is going to go as far as the run game takes them at the beginning of the game. The run game was working. They could move the football. Miami adjusted. They started shutting down Harris. They started shutting down Ramondre Stevenson. That became a problem. They couldn't move the football anymore. We saw again what John Smith can do in space, but he really wasn't involved in the game plan. Didn't see much of Hunter Henry. Kendrick Bourne is in the doghouse. Doesn't come out to the fourth quarter. Has a big catch. Just everything we talked about, Bill's ego, whatever you want to call it, you know, right. affecting the Kendrick Bourne decision, everything we said that could go wrong went wrong. Try to tell me something that we talked about in the offseason that you think maybe went right today that we thought could have went wrong. The one little glimpse of something I think that went right for them was John U. Smith did manage to get into space twice. You know, and we saw him make big yards after catch with that. And I was I was happy to see that. Obviously it, it wasn't enough, but they need to they they need to be able to get both tight ends working in tandem. And they still are, haven't been able to do that. But again, the little bright spot there, you know, you had Johnny, you got him two I think two balls, maybe three, and you know, he got into space twice and he had big yards after the catch. So if they can keep that up and maybe, you know, get the rest of this thing work and maybe they'll be in decent shape. Are you concerned about Mac Jones's back injury? I am because they, they need him this season. If, if Mac Jones is hurt, it's over. It's, I, I, I hate to be that blunt, but it's, it's done. Brian Hoyer is not going to carry you and Bailey Zappi certainly is not going to carry you. So. All right. Going to move on here from the Patriots game. There was a lot of great games of football today and we have nowhere near enough time. We've already used up 15 of our 30 and we have nowhere near enough time to talk about all of them. So I tried to pick the most interesting stories of the day. Maybe not the best stories of the day, but the most interesting story of the days. Um, and I went with all the articles from the losing side of the equation as to what the feeling is. Mm -hmm. 
And the first one we go to comes from the Falcons wire because the Atlanta Falcons, Atlanta Falcon themselves today after having a huge lead, end up losing 27 to 26 to the New Orleans Saints, which, Mike, I'll tell you the truth, made me feel a lot better because my preseason pick just a week ago when we were talking about who's coming out of the NFC, who's coming out of the AFC, you know, our Super Bowl predictions, I have the Buffalo Bills facing off against the New Orleans Saints. Watching this game today was like, ooh. I will say, though, I liked what I saw out of Marcus Mariota. I thought he had some life in him. He kind of fizzled out at the end. I liked what he saw. Here's what they say, though. Here's the article. It says the Atlanta Falcons got off to the kind of start that fans dream about in their week one matchup against the New Orleans Saints. But despite leading by 16 points in the fourth quarter, the Saints came roaring back to pull off a 27-26 to upset. Mariota was very hot, but uh, his inability to get the offense going late in the game took away from what would have been a stellar debut. He completed 20 of 33 for 215 yards and rushed for 72 yards and a touchdown. Still, Mariota fumbled twice, recovering once, and couldn't make a play when the team really needed it. It was an up-and-down debut for Super Mario. Now, the Falcons <laughs> will be hitting the road to take on the defending Super Bowl champions in Week 2. The Rams were embarrassed by the Bills in Week 1 and will be looking to get back on track. Fortunately, Atlanta is no stranger to embarrassment, and the team is coming off one of its classic fourth-quarter meltdowns. But, hey, there's always Week 3. So let me start with, I know I, I'm, I was going to, you know, I want to ask this question tongue-in-cheek, but now it just seems like a legitimate question. Are you surprised to see another fourth-quarter collapse by the Atlanta Falcons? <laughs> I was surprised they were ahead at all during this game, to be honest with you. I, I don't think a lot of people are expecting um, much out of the Falcons. So, yeah, it's a it's a little bit, you know, of the same from them. But if they can stay competitive like this all year, I think it'll be a lot more than most team uh, people expected from this team. So see what happens. Now let's talk a little bit from a New Orleans Saints perspective, because I think one of the things that I really, what really attracted me to the Saints is I ca- and I said this about them last year too, is they are a defensive team disguised mm-hmm. as an offensive team because people look yes. at Alvin Kamara, they look at Michael Thomas, and they, you know, even Jameis Winston, we know that he's capable of throwing 40 touchdowns, and they think they're an offensive team, but they're really a defensive team. Atlanta just, I mean, they ran all over them, threw all over them. That Saints defense looked brutal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure you didn't see much of the game. I know you were locked in on the Patriots game today, but you saw all the stats starting to skew towards New Orleans. Could this just be a case, rather than an Atlanta collapse, this was just a case of New Orleans playing to their potential? I think that's what it what it is, because I had an eye on this game uh, most of the day. And, you know, Michael Thomas really showed up when he needed to, um, which is a big factor for them. Let's not forget, he really hasn't been right for um, almost two seasons now. So that's a big thing. I think they're, yes, you're right. I think they're playing up to their potential. There's a lot of talent on that offense and on that defense. You know, everybody's been kind of like, oh, we don't see it this season. But I think people that are really paying attention do and i'm going to show you the little underneath stats because people are going to point to atlanta's 416 yards 201 on the ground 215 in the air they're going to say that's not a good defense that's what they're going to say mm-hmm. i'm going to point to this though atlanta was five for 13 on third downs yeah that's not good you but that's what you want out of a defense right, right? that's what you want yes yes i agree atlanta was sacked Marcus Mariota four times. Yep. 
three fumbles, two recovered. So though New Orleans defense didn't do everything it needed to do all at once at the same time, it kind of came through when you expect a good defense to come through, and then they clamp down at the end. Very similar to some of the Patriots defenses that we've seen over the years. Uh, but let's get to another one here because there was a game that looked like it was over in the first quarter. Uh, it looked like Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals were coming off of uh, that Super Bowl hangover, they call it, for the losing team. Yep. I think he had four total interceptions in the first half. TJ Watt sacks him down hard. Uh, we thought that Cincinnati had shirred up that offensive line for Burrow. They looked like a like a sieve. The the defenders of of the Steelers were running through. Now I think a little bit of that has to go to crediting to to the Steelers and what they're able to do. And uh, one story to keep an eye on, which I'm sure we'll be talking about later in the week is TJ Watt went out injured today and there was an isolated video that I saw on, on Barstool Sports where they read his lips and he was saying, I tore my pec. So that if that's the case, that's going to be a serious problem for Pittsburgh. But this comes from Bengals Wire. It says, instant analysis after Bengals lose to Steelers OT thriller. Let me read you what they wrote. They said, the Cincinnati Bengals put up an ugly first half of football during the season opener against the Pittsburgh Steelers. This wasn't enough to put the game out of reach thanks to a strong defensive effort. Burrow threw a fourth pick in the second half on a ball that had no chance to make it through a pair of defenders. He was throwing off his back foot often because of his line, but he wasn't seeing the field all that well either. The final two minutes of this game were the craziest fans will ever see. The Bengals blew a fourth in inches for a game-winning score, then got the ball back because the Steelers were silly with their possession, only to march down the field and score, but they missed the extra point because long snapper Clark Harris left the game earlier due to injury, which meant overtime. That's a nice, clean summation of it. Evan McPherson missed a 29-year-old field goal in overtime to win it, likely due to the change in timing after the switch of the long snapper. Then Chris Boswell missed his first attempt <laughs> ever in the building, giving the Bengals one last chance. And then Boswell didn't miss his second chance right at the buzzer. And what they left out here, which they should have, is the Bengals punted the ball to the Steelers while the game clock was running with 15 seconds left on the play clock, and if they would have ran that down to one second, the Steelers, given what happened, would not have had enough time to line up Boswell, and they would have walked away with the tie. Um, Mike, we've seen a lot of crazy things, football fans. We've both been football fans for years. Was this one yep. of the craziest games you've ever watched? This was one of the craziest games I've ever, ever watched, and there was a game going on alongside it. I couldn't believe the amount of missed field goals that were, were going on. Um, in insanity insanity to see the Steelers compete like that I was surprised Mitch Trubisky made some great throws uh when he needed to but yeah overall that overtime was crazy I wouldn't be surprised if the Patriots are getting calls for Nick Folk um you know tomorrow morning <laughs> well I did tweet that out I said not everybody can employ Nick Folk and yes, in the other game you're talking about was the Indianapolis Colts and Houston Texans, which a lot of people tell you shouldn't even have went to overtime. I think the game was 20 to three at one point for Houston in the fourth quarter. Indy brings it all the way back. Rodrigo Blankenship missed a game winner during regulation, and then he missed the overtime game winner, which mm -hmm. drove it into overtime. 
And if anybody wants to to watch one of the greatest reactions to fan reaction, go over to the Colts Law YouTube page and watch the reaction of the missed field goal. Uh, my boy Colts loyalist, he is terrifying when he is angry. Um, but this game against the Bengals, do you credit the burrow like the the interceptions? Do you do you credit this to the Cincinnati Bengals offensive line and offense playing poorly, or do you credit this to that Pittsburgh defense still being for real? I think that Pittsburgh defense is for real. TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick are just two, you know, superstars they have on that defense. And there are a bunch, bunch of other stars. I think, I think that's one of the best defenses in the league. I just don't think they have the offense quite figured out to make them a a legit playoff contender. So let's have one of those crazy overreactions week one sort of hot takes uh before this season we were talking about who are going to be the top teams coming out of the afc the buffalo bills and kansas city chiefs were obviously there we talked about the chargers maybe the raiders the broncos the colts cincinnati was one of the teams that we put on the table same with the baltimore ravens however there's the steelers with the big win does this change at all where you rank the Bengals and the Steelers, or was this just a week one sort of gaff for the for the Bengals and a, and a week one go for the Steelers? I think this was just one of those week one gaffes. You know, you're playing, um, you know, an interdivision game there. It's it's a little different, and uh, they always say defense starts the season ahead of offense, and the Bengals rely more on their offense. So, you know, I think they probably need a week or two to kind of smooth some things out and kind of figure out what they're doing. Um, I still, I still give Cincinnati a high seed this year as far as making the playoffs are concerned. So, two of, of my other hot takes for this season came out of the NFC. Not first one was the Philadelphia Eagles were going to win the NFC East, which I still believe yes. Jalen Hurts looked phenomenal today. My other one was the Detroit Lions are going to make the playoffs. And I watched the game and I I tweeted something at one point when the game was a bit of a gap. And I said, you know, don't discount these Lions. This Eagles team is just that good, both offensively and defensively. And then the Lions bring it all the way back. So this is from Lions Wire. It says gritty Lions show improvement, but fall short in shootout with the Eagles. And uh, really quickly, it says there was quite a few silver linings on the stormy clouds that flew over and often inside Ford Field in Sunday's 38 to 35 season opening loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. When viewed through the prism of last year's 44 to 6 drubbing on Halloween in the same matchup, it's impossible not to see the growth in Dan Campbell's Detroit Lions. Detroit did a lot of very good things. They ran for 181 yards and 28 carries with DeAndre Swift going for 144 yards on 15 carries. The Lions kept the chains moving with nine conversions on 14 third down attempts. When the Eagles scored in the second half, Detroit answered each of them with a touchdown of their own. Alas, the Eagles were just a little bit better. Jalen Hurts was fantastic with both his arms and his legs. The Lions figured out some things, but not fast enough. A terrible Mm -hmm. penalty by Tracy Walker, who threw a punch and was ejected, and a highly debatable pass interference call against Jeff Okuda, shout out Ohio State, helped the Eagles rain down just enough points to outscore the the game uh, outscore the uh, the Lions in the game. Now, compared to Week Eight last year, it was night and day difference of Detroit. What are your thoughts of Detroit? They were the heart attack kids last year. They look like they're going to be the heart attack kids again this year. But my argument has always been Jared Goff isn't that bad. They got a St. Brown. They've got uh, Swift. They've got some really, really solid players 
that on their team. And I'm going to be honest with you guys. I didn't watch 30 seconds of hard knocks this year because I was accused on the, who's got next podcast of getting swept up in the prisoner of the moment, hard knocks thing. I didn't watch 30 seconds of it. I've liked where I liked where this Detroit team was going last year. I thought them and the jets had the best drafts in the NFL this year. That's mm-hmm. why I picked them to make the playoffs. What are your thoughts of them going toe to toe against the Eagles? A team was probably one of the better teams in the NFC. Yeah. Uh- I uh, I just want to preface this. I have also, you know, not watched a moment of Hard Knocks. Um, I watched that game today. The needle's still pointing up on Detroit. Listen, they they have a ton of talent. Dan Campbell, you know, you may not love him as a coach, but I think he's got that team going in the right direction. And they've got still one of their first round draft picks primed to come back in a couple of weeks. I think once they have Jamison Williams, that's going to open up that field and that offense even more for them. And I think that defense is going to do good things. We'll see. I mean, Philly's not the greatest team, but like you said, they're they're going to be a playoff contender. So it's a good bar to judge the Lions by at this point. All right, that's really all the week one time we got for today. Like I said, guys, I'm sure that on the Who's Got Next podcast this week and then with my boy Kevin on Thursday, we'll have lots more to say about NFL football. Mike, tell the people where they can find you, what you're doing, all that kind of good stuff. I'm on the Who's Got Next podcast on Wednesday, Wednesdays. You can find me at uh, producer underscore Mike N on, on Twitter. I'm always tweeting there. I'm always angry. I'm always saying something about the fo- uh, football and the Pats. So be a good time. All right, that's all she wrote for today's show. Make sure that you check it out on YouTube every day and on Twitter on the Dean Blundell Network Twitter account at dblundellnet. Follow me on Twitter at dbn underscore ray. Hit that like button, subscribe, and all of that stuff. Hey, if you don't have time to watch the show, you can get the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and at deanblundell.com. If you have any questions that you'd like me to answer, send it over on Twitter. And uh, that's all I really have left to say. Thanks for tuning in to Ray Sports Rant. And never forget, you're all legit, kid. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.